0: This is CPX number 77, Sorrow for Sin. We are in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 87 to 91, question and answers number 36 through 59. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, Amen. In nomine Sifiri, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sorrow for sin, number 36. What is sorrow for sin? Answer, sorrow for sin consists in grief of soul and in a sincere detestation of the offense offered to God. Number 37. How many kinds of sorrow are there? Answer, sorrow is of two kinds. Perfect sorrow or contrition and imperfect sorrow or attrition. Number 38 what is perfect sorrow or contrition? Answer, perfect sorrow is a grief of soul for having offended God because he is infinitely good and worthy of being loved for his own sake. Number 39, why do you call the sorrow of contrition perfect sorrow? Answer, I call the sorrow of contrition perfect sorrow for two reasons. One, because it considers the goodness of God alone and not our own advantage or loss, and two, because it enables us at once to obtain pardon for sins, even though the obligation to confess them still remains. Number 40. Perfect sorrow then obtains us pardon of our sins independently of confession? Answer. Perfect sorrow does not obtain us pardon of our sins independently of confession, because it always includes the intention to confess them. Number 41. Why does perfect sorrow or contrition produce the effect of restoring us to the grace of God? Answer. Perfect sorrow or contrition produces this effect because it proceeds from charity which cannot exist in the soul together with sin. Number 42, what is imperfect sorrow or attrition? Answer, imperfect sorrow or attrition is that by which we repent of having offended God because he is our supreme judge, that is, for fear of the chastisement deserved in this life or in the life to come or because of the very foulness of sin itself. 43. What qualities must sorrow have to be true sorrow? Answer, sorrow, in order to be true, must have four qualities. It must be internal, supernatural, supreme, and universal. Number 44. What is meant by saying that sorrow must be internal? Answer, it means that it must exist in the heart and will and not in words alone. Number 45. Why must sorrow be internal? Answer, Sorrow must be internal because the will, which has been alienated from God by sin, must return to God by detesting the sin committed. Number 46, What is meant by saying that sorrow must be supernatural? Answer, It means that it must be excited in us by the grace of God and conceived through motives of faith. Number 47, Why must sorrow be supernatural? Answer, sorrow must be supernatural because the end to which it is directed is supernatural, namely God's pardon, the acquisition of sanctifying grace, and the right to eternal glory. Number 48, explain more clearly the difference between natural and supernatural sorrow. Answer, he who repents of having offended God because God is infinitely good and worthy of being loved for his own sake, of having lost heaven and merited hell, or because of the intrinsic malice of sin has supernatural sorrow since all these are motives of faith. On the contrary, he who repents only because of the dishonor or chastisement inflicted by men, or because of some purely temporal loss, has a natural sorrow, since he repents from human motives alone. Number 49, why must sorrow be supreme? Answer, sorrow must be supreme because we must look upon and hate sin as the greatest of all evils, being as it is an offense against God. Number 50. To have sorrow for sin, is it necessary to weep, as we sometimes do, in consequence of the misfortunes of this life? Answer, it is not necessary to shed tears of sorrow for our sins. It is enough, if our heart we make more of having offended God than of any other misfortune whatsoever. Number 51. What is meant by saying that sorrow must be universal? Answer, it means that it must be extended to every mortal sin committed. Number 52, why should sorrow extend to every mortal sin committed? Answer, because he who does not repent of even one mortal sin still remains an enemy to God. Number 53, what should we do to have sorrow for our sins? Answer, to have sorrow for our sins, we should ask it of God with our whole heart and excite it in ourselves by the thought Of the great evil we have done by sinning. Number 54. What should you do to excite yourself to detest your sins? Answer To excite myself to detest my sins, one, I will consider the rigor of the infinite justice of God and the foulness of sin which has defiled my soul and made me worthy of the eternal punishment of hell. Two, I will consider that by sin I have lost the grace, friendship, and sonship of God and the inheritance of heaven. Number three, that I have offended my Redeemer who died for me and that my sins caused his death. Number four, that I have despised my Creator and my God, that I have turned my back upon Him who is my supreme good and worthy of being loved above everything else and of being faithfully served. Number 55, in going to confession, should we be extremely solicitous to have a true sorrow for our sins? Answer, In going to confession, we should certainly be very solicitous to have a true sorrow for our sins, because this is, of all things, the most important. And if sorrow is wanting, the confession is no good. Number 56. If one has only venial sins to confess, must he be sorry for all of them? Answer, if one has only venial sins to confess, it is enough to repent of some of them for his confession to be valid, But to obtain pardon for all of them, it is necessary to repent of all he remembers having committed. Number 57, if one has only venial sins to confess, and if he does not repent of even one of them, does he make a good confession? Answer, if one confesses only venial sins without having sorrow for at least one of them, his confession is in vain. Moreover, it would be sacrilegious if the absence of sorrow was conscious. Number 58, what should be done to render the confession of only venial sins more secure. Answer, to render the confession of venial sins more secure, it is prudent also to confess with true sorrow some grave sin of the past, even though it has already been confessed. Number 59, is it well to make an act of contrition often? Answer, it is well and most useful to make an act of contrition often, especially before going to sleep, or when we know we have or fear we have fallen into mortal sin, in order to recover God's grace as soon as possible. And this practice will make it easier for us to obtain from God the grace of making a like act at time of our greatest need, that is, when in danger of death. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. You know, some people say that no Catholics had a relationship with Jesus Christ 100 years ago. But notice, in today's catechism written over 100 years ago, it's all about sorrow sorrow. Sorrow for sins being the most important aspect of forgiveness of sins. So you got to ask yourself, a hundred years ago, what were traditional Catholics called to have sorrow before? Sorrow before a moral theology book? No. Sorrow before a rigorous system of theology? No. Sorrow before the Summa Theologiae? No. As all of you know, you can't have sorrow before just a system of theology. You can only have sorrow before... The very one you killed by your sins, Jesus Christ, the same one who redeemed you. And this is why we learn today in number 54, quote, that I have offended my Redeemer who died for me, and that my sins caused his death, end quote. So you see, what I'm getting at here is sorrow automatically implies a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, the Pope wrote these two astonishing lines today. One, quote, "...in going to confession, we should certainly be very solicitous to have a true sorrow for our sins, because this is of all things the most important, and if sorrow is missing, the confession is no good." And, quote, "...sorrow must be internal, because the will, which has been alienated from God by sin, must return to God by detesting the sin committed." So notice, these are all relationship terms, alienated, redeemer, returning to God, and he frames it entirely in these two terms of sorrow and charity. So this is proof, a hundred years ago, Catholics were called to have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is where modern Catholics need to realize, no, Jesus is not my buddy, at least not before I recognize he's the one I crucified. No, he's not your friend until you realize God died as a man for you. But then here's the amazing news. He chooses to call me friend, even though I've crucified him so many times by my sin. You know, when saints see so much love on the cross, think of like St. Mary Magdalene or St. Peter, they must have felt exactly as St. Paul wrote, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, here's this, listen closely, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.5. So think about how St. Peter and St. Paul and the Magdalene, all before they were saints, think how they sinned mortally. And yet because of the love and sorrow found in their hearts, Jesus calls them his best friends. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. This is Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee, speaking of Mary Magdalene. St. Mary Magdalene and St. Peter were considered penitents their whole life. And it wasn't that they, you know, focused on their sin more than God's love, but precisely when they saw that much love on the cross, Mary was there, Peter had run, but at least in his prayer, when they saw that much love on the cross and what they had done to Christ, the only response is two things, sorrow and charity. For sorrow, we heard in number 38 today, Perfect sorrow is a grief of soul for having offended God because he is infinitely good and worthy of being loved for his own sake. Do you hear relationship in there? And then for charity or love, we heard in number 41, Perfect sorrow or contrition produces this effect because it proceeds from charity which cannot exist in the soul together with sin. This is why our Lord just said there in Luke chapter 7, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She was given the gift of perfect contrition, which includes perfect charity right there. So practically, this means pray for perfect contrition and an increase in love of God, and then just go do it. Live every moment loving God to the maximum. And then practically, let me just say a couple quick things. Practically, for end-of-life issues, the most important thing to know how to do, if, if you have to die without the sacraments, is to know how to make an act of perfect contrition. As some of you probably already know, the gold standard little book on this is called The Golden Key to Paradise, Perfect Contrition. Little book called The Golden Key to Paradise, Perfect Contrition. And TFP has a free link to the entire PDF of that Golden Key to Paradise, Perfect Contrition. They have that on their blog, and I will link it in my show notes. Please say an Our Father for me, Et benedictus deum de potentis patris efferit, sancti, et spiritu sancti descendit super vos et semper amen